Support for this podcast and the following message come from Hulu, presenting the original documentary series, Hillary, a portrait of Hillary Rodham Clinton, featuring exclusive interviews and footage from the 2016 presidential campaign. Hillary is now streaming only on Hulu. On Sunday night, the Kansas City Chiefs came from behind to beat the San Francisco 49ers 31-20 in Super Bowl 54. That's L-I-V for you Romans out there. But of course, there was more than football. There was also an exuberant, hip-shaking halftime show from Jennifer Lopez and Shakira. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're talking about the Super Bowl today on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR, so don't go away. This message comes from NPR sponsor Trello, part of Atlassian's suite of business collaboration tools. Whether you're planning a product launch, brainstorming with your team, or organizing your editorial calendar, say hello to Trello. Trello is designed for work to be more collaborative, more fun, and to help your team get more done. Over 50 million people have used Trello for projects and to crush business goals. Give your team a blueprint for success with templates from the Trello community. Learn more at trello.com inspiration. Welcome back. You just met NPR Music's Stephen Thompson. And joining us today are two of our pals from the Alt-Latino podcast. First up is Alt-Latino host Felix Contreras. Welcome back, Felix. Thank you very much. Good to be here, guys. And also joining us is NPR Music and Alt-Latino contributor Stephanie Fernandez. She's also a producer at The Atlantic. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, everyone. So wonderful to have you with us. So great to be here. So first, we want to talk about the unimportant part, which is the football game (laughs) that was played. I got you covered. Uh, Steven, you like football. <laughs> I do like football. Explain but... to me how this game went down. Uh, this was a really good game. I, you know, I think sometimes the you know the Super Bowl, it's it's hard to anticipate whether a game is going to be exciting. This one was. Uh, it came down to the final minute. The final score of thirty-one to twenty uh, actually doesn't indicate how extremely close this was. Yeah. With with you know two minutes left on the clock, the game could not have been more in doubt. You had the trailing team like going in for the score late, and so from a football standpoint, this was a very exciting game, headlined by this huge young star quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, who ended up winning MVP, even though I think it kind of should have been Damian Williams. Yeah. Uh, well, so the so the game, if you saw the game, was... It was close. It was close, exciting. Exciting and irrelevant to the larger question <laughs> of uh, the halftime show. Now, we were talking before, before the taping about the fact that there was a lot of suggestion of... I mean, I guess I would say a lot of talk about the fact that Jennifer Lopez and, and Shakira, as Stephanie pointed out, were the first Latinas to share the stage at the Super Bowl halftime show. There was a lot of talk about that, but certainly not the first to do it there. Uh, Felix was uh, pointing out Gloria Stefan did it twice and then once also with the Miami Sound Machine. So but this was a big show for these two women. Uh, Stephanie, what would you think? Let me just say that as a Miami native, um, <laughs> my knowledge of football extends to the 1972 Miami Dolphins perfect season. Mm-hmm. Undefeated. Mm-hmm. I remember that. As many Miami people might tell you, um, it was a big deal for these two women to take the stage for the halftime show. And let me just say that as a young Latina growing up in Miami, there is no way that you could look outside your house and not see that these were two women that embodied what it meant to be a powerful sexy, successful Latina in the media. And as I got older, that was when I learned 
to question those two figures and their prominence in this in this field. And mm-hmm. so much of the halftime show in delightful ways and in troubling ways felt kind of 2002. Yeah. Um, these are two women who've had incredibly successful long careers um, as singers, as dancers, in, in J-Lo's case, as actors. I think we saw the most, some of the most impressive athleticism on that stage yeah. from those two. The dancing was out of this world. Um, Shakira, of course, being an incredible belly dancer, and J-Lo's pole dancing reminding us of her Oscar snub with some <laughs> incredibly dexterous moves. My colleague at The Atlantic, Jamel Hill, pointed out on Twitter that Janet Jackson died on the cross so that these two could live, yeah. um, which I thought was a powerful statement of Super Bowl continuity. And we'll get into it more in a moment, but I think all of this Latino representation, to use a, a complicated word that's tossed around, feels a little bit in this case like it might have come at the expense of some solidarity with the greater communities of color. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay, Felix, what do you think? The social media reaction was like, overwhelmingly positive. Uh-huh. I mean, just such a great statement of cultural pride from a Colombian, being Shakira, and then a Puerto Rican with uh, J-Lo. And there were a couple of moments, you know, especially the moment where she has the Puerto Rican flag draped around her with the U.S. flag on the back. It was a very strong statement about cultural representation through music, through their iconic status, all these different things. So I think that in the world's biggest pop culture moment, it's a very, very bold statement. Yeah. It's a very bold statement. And I want to go back to Stephanie in a second um, to elaborate a little bit on the point you were making. But just for anybody who I think... It's it's very likely that um, most of the people who are hearing this are aware of the magnitude of the celebrity of Jennifer Lopez. But I think that for some people, and I was one of them, the knowledge of Shakira might be a little bit. I was surprised. I, I admit when I looked her up and saw that she had sold 75 million albums. That's a that's so many. They are both iconic, iconic, as Felix has and Stephanie have been saying figures who have sold a ton, a ton of music. Stephanie, I want to go back to the point that you were making about the perhaps lost opportunity for solidarity with other communities of color. Can you talk about that a little? First, before we get too far away from J-Lo versus Shakira, um, (laughs) you know, there was this kind of clownish New York Post column saying that, you know, J-Lo didn't need Shakira to accompany her on that stage. Of course, mm. this says a lot to us about, mm-hmm. you know, the need to pit successful women against each other, especially on a stage like this. But it also says something, as you mentioned, to, you know, Shakira's kind of crossover success and, and kind of flirting in and out of English language music, um, an effort which kind of stopped around the, the early 10s, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe why so many English language audiences hadn't heard from her in a long time in that way. It was really heartening as a Shakira fan to see her return to not only her roots as a rockera, as a rock and español artist, which is what she started as, um, performing, you know, playing guitar and playing drums with J-Lo, to embracing her Lebanese roots, too, um, with her sagruta, which was widely misinterpreted and memed as as a kind of vulgar act. Um, Like a tongue flickering. Yes. um, Where I felt most heartened by this halftime show was to see where J-Lo and Shakira did what they do best, which is, you know, Shakira returning to those roots um, for on a stage where a lot of people might not have known that part of her career, her pre-blonde career. Um, <laughs> we Shakira fans are happy for that. And and to see J-Lo embrace that Puerto Rican pride that has become so intrinsic in her identity, I think so much of the art and music and dance, it's impossible to encapsulate the plurality of Latin identity on stage in 15 minutes. The 
so many of the genres we saw, reggaeton, cumbia, salsa, champeta, in, in dance and in, in um, Shakira's performance, bugaloo, hip-hop, R&B, salsa, and rock en español already leaves out so many genres. And so many of those genres we know as cultural commentators is owed directly to the Afro-Latino community and the, the role of black art in Latino music and in Latin music in this industry. We know that artists like Rihanna and Cardi B in particular, who's Afro-Latina, have declined to perform in the Super Bowl in the past. Cardi B has declined until Colin Kaepernick gets a, a job in the NFL again. For Shakira to include a performance of I Like It, which is one of the biggest Latin music successes of the past couple of years. It was one of the songs of the summer, I believe, that I talked on this very show a <laughs> yeah. couple of years ago. That's a song that samples a Bugaloo song from the 1960s, and that is a genre that was predominantly pioneered by Afro-Latino artists in New York. To exclude that song's featured artist, Cardi B, and Afro-Latina herself, because she declined to perform, she's sitting in the box seats in the audience, says something powerful about white and white-passing Latinos' opportunism when it comes to music that was pioneered by communities of color. And many of the Afro-Latino community online and in media in widespread ways have expressed a disappointment that the empowerment of one part of the Latino community seems to come at the expense of standing in solidarity yeah. with members of the black community, Afro-Latino or otherwise. Yeah. I think it speaks to the ridiculousness of kind of treating Latino music as one thing. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? To kind of treat it like a single category that you include or don't include when it's such a rich and varied world of music with Absolutely. so many different with so many different artists involved. I thought one of the most powerful elements of the performance, and Felix, I'm sure you'll agree with me, was J-Lo being joined on stage by her 11-year-old daughter, mm -hmm. Emma, singing with her in a children's choir right. as this powerful statement of Puerto Rican pride and, and protest against detention was happening. And immediately after that moment is followed by Shakira singing Waka Waka, you know, lest we forget that Shakira was the white face of this watered-down this is Africa, we are all Africa sentiment that another major sports uh, empire profited on as well. From the World Cup. Yeah, from the World Cup. Yeah, and one of the things that stood out to me in this performance as, as a, I guess as a, as a form of protest is during that segment with her daughter, you know, there, and it was very quick. It was probably just one shot. There were kids in cages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, yes, and it's, were. yeah. And, and it didn't that, even register for me the first time. Yeah. Interesting. No, yeah. it didn't. I, it didn't with me either. Yeah. I admit. It, it's, I, mean, I don't know. It was just me. I just, it yeah. just bumped out. It's know? one thing that I actually really took away from this performance that I, that I really ended up loving is that you throw on the stage 15 minutes of Super Bowl halftime show spectacular. And, you know, Linda, you and I watched this sitting next to each other and just marveled at just the sheer, just audacity of the amount of stuff happening on the screen. And the joy of it. And the and so much of the joy of, of performance. And at the same time, you still had elements of political statement within mm -hmm. it. There are many elements that people are talking about the next day as, oh, if you look closely, look, there are kids in cages. Oh, this thing that Shakira did with her tongue is actually the Zagruta, and this is what it means. And, and you know, the fact that we're able to unpack elements of that performance to talk about the next day instead of like, wow, isn't it cool that the who did Baba O'Reilly? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And, right. and so I, I really came away from that performance just loving it, because one of the things that I want from the Super Bowl is excess. Like, just lean 
into the bigness of it all. And this performance, though it couldn't possibly be all-encompassing, and though there are there are elements that are frustrating around it, I enjoyed the fact that this was a big, loud, fun performance that was so visually spectacular. And right. just the quality of... I mean, man, a Super Bowl halftime show is choreographed and stage to the hilt musically speaking a lot of things are let's just say preordained but dancing is one of those right. things like if you are going to put on a great dance show which i felt this was that is actually much tougher than some of the kind of musical elements that are kind of set in stone yeah. going in well and i talked about the fact that i was i was happy that this was not just uh, the sort of bands your dad likes classic rock sort of show right and what did you say to me stephanie one might say, though, that J-Lo and Shakira are kind of the classic rock of live music. <laughs> Bands your tears like. Exactly. <laughs> and they brought out, uh, they did bring out J Balvin. And Bad Bunny. And yes. Bad Bunny for the kids, as you said. <laughs> I, was, I was just glad that J Balvin dressed up for the occasion. Yeah. <laughs> right. That was really striking. Like, all these women just absolutely dressed so, like, to the nines and really kind of glammed up and then oh, yeah. and I mean, sweatshirts. And had... as I said to Stephen, I'm sure that sweatshirts cost $6,000 or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, to bring out two of the biggest artists in, in reggaeton and Latin trap, Bad Bunny and J Balvin, says a lot about the changing face of Latin music, even though, the, you know, reggaeton and Latin trap are also two genres that started being seen as very low class, very not of the same cultural fabric as, as salsa or, or any of these other widely accepted Latin genres. To bring those two out felt one of the more Miami parts of the, of the halftime show, to, mm-hmm. if, in a weird way, even though... None of these artists on stage were from Miami. That was one thing. I, There were a lot of... Um, I thought there was a missed opportunity to include black artists from Miami. Rick Ross, Trick Daddy, 2 Live Crew, Denzel Curry. I have to say, I mean, and not to mention Afro-Latino artists from Miami. Amara La Negra or Trina or or Amenu Viola or, mm-hmm. or even Gente de Zona that is a Cuban act, an Afro-Latino Cuban act that has made a lot of waves in Miami's Latino community. And, you know, the lack of, of non-Hispanic Caribbean artists, Bahamian mm-hmm. or Jamaican artists right. as well. Yeah. I mean... The most Miami part about this to me felt like this is what Latin music has looked like and what Miami has looked like in popular culture for about 20 years. This is what people want to see from Latin music, and we've gotten to the point where now it's okay to be at the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating to unpack this from so many different angles. You know, if you come at it from, even from the Latin music side, you know, there's a generational thing between Stephanie and I. So there's a whole different perspective, <laughs> you know, a slight generational change. Felix yeah. is over here like, what's wrong with the who? <laughs> 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 that are was a good put, show. Are you <laughs> <laughs> Stones are played. <laughs> well, then, and it's just, there's so many different ways to look at it and it happened in 15 minutes. I yeah. mean, there's yep. so much stuff there. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I think like Stephen said, it's definitely a more interesting, kind of complicated thing to talk about than, than yeah. bringing out Bruce Springsteen again or whatever. Um, we do want to touch on the other thing that tends to get a lot of chatter the day after, which is the commercials. Stephen, you, uh, you wanted to talk about the Google commercial, the Loretta commercial, where the guy was trying to remember his wife. I'm going to start several sentences sort of with on one hand, on the other hand. I appreciated that the Google ad, uh, Loretta, which is an older man talking about memories of his wife, 
life. And he's kind of reading them into Google so that Google will remind him of them. And it is a deeply emotional, uh, some might say manipulative uh, ad with beautiful music playing underneath it. And on one hand, I appreciated that it was uncluttered. Uh, So many of these super ads are just flinging stars at you. And why is Jonah Hill doing something with Martin Scorsese about an energy? What? I, I don't... I don't even know. You know. Like, I appreciated the simplicity and the beauty of that ad. The flip side of it is emotional manipulation in entertainment is like any number of things. Uh, like in, for example, romance, where like, I'm willing to, to uh, go with you if you're somebody that I trust. I don't trust Google. <laughs> if, if, if the makers of The Good Place want to manipulate me emotionally, I trust them yeah. to manipulate me emotionally. I do not trust Google. And also, it is a beautiful ad. It is, it is really emotional. And then the flip side is what Google seems to be doing for this guy. You haven't been able to do that with technology since paper and a pen. I know, I know. And I do I do want to give a shout to our TV critic, Eric Deggins, has a piece uh, yeah. online this morning also talking about the kind of the flip, the on the one hand, on the other hand of yeah. a lot of these ads, including language around kind of nationalism and things like that, which is always extremely common in Super Bowl ads. I did enjoy the Boston accents on Chris mm-hmm. Evans and John Krasinski and uh, Rachel Dratch. Wicked cow, is that new? Yeah, it's a Sonata. Let me pack it. Oh, you're not fitting your car in there. Chris, stop being a smarty pants, all right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to have a ad about parking a car, I suppose that's going to be it's going to be fun. Do you have any favorite ads, Stephanie? I really liked of the ones I saw Lil Nas X uh, <laughs> dance dueling in the desert with Sam Elliott to sell Doritos. Yeah. Which I appreciated. You know what I liked about that ad compared to a lot of the really star-packed ads? It wasn't saddled with a bunch of plot. Saddled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Man, some people are playing checkers. I'm over here playing chess. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so so many of these things were so incredibly convoluted. Why is Rob Riggle and Sofia Vergara, like all of these, these ads just kind of run together with all these just very Byzantine plots and instead just have Lil Nas X and Sam Elliott pants around and be silly. One commercial that stood out to me simply because I I knew it was coming was um, the Inspire Change commercial as part of uh, Jay-Z's Rock Nation deal with NFL, a commercial that was addressing uh, police brutality and and increasing NFL efforts to to discuss officer-involved shootings. Mm -hmm. This commercial came from an agreement that hangs over this entire Spectacle, which was Rock Nation's deal with the NFL, um, which included uh, consulting on the curation of the halftime show. So that was an interesting piece to note that that they chose to go in an all Latino direction, all non-black Latino direction. And what stood out to me is that the NFL is having this conversation because whether they liked it or not, Colin Kaepernick started it. And the widely criticized, you know, there's been a lot of feelings about Jay-Z's deal and you know, whether there's any value in the NFL beginning to to treat this in some way, whether they wanted to or not, it doesn't feel like we'd be having that conversation if it weren't for the difficult position that the NFL has tried to long avoid and is now trying to see how they can make some money off of. Yeah. Well, uh, let us know what you thought about the Super Bowl and the ads and what you think about all these things in the halftime show. Uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. 
And that brings us to the end of our show. You can follow Stephanie at Mater Vamami and Felix at T.O. Felix C. Thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. If you want to hear more of Felix and Stephanie, which you should, make sure to subscribe to the Alt Latino podcast. And of course, thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This Friday, we will have our big annual Oscars preview. And if you want to catch up with our coverage of all of the Best Picture nominees, you can find a playlist in Spotify by searching for Oscars 2020 from Pop Culture Happy Hour. We will see you all right back here on Friday for that roundup. Daily Show correspondent Roy Wood Jr. is very good at making people laugh. That wasn't always the case. The greatest gift of the bomb is that you suck and then you get to basically abracadabra and come back the next week. Roy Wood Jr. on his long path to comedic success. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.